Today on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, we are bringing in our guest, Lee Bortons of Classical Classical Conversations. We are going to talk about the universal education vouchers, the money follow, follows the child uh, debate that seems to be happening right now. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about homeschool. We can't bring in the Classical Conversations uh, founder without talking about homeschooling. So we're going to tackle all of these subjects because you know that taking ownership of our family's education and the way that our families live our lives uh, is a huge part of the education arm of We the Patriots USA and what I'm speaking of here on the Faithful Freedom Podcast. And, uh, you know, we're doing so much at We the Patriots USA to try and fight the um, the indoctrination of our children, whether it's through the cases about CRT or religious exemptions uh, being turned down against transgenderism. And of course, I just had a uh, episode recently with our co-founders of We the Patriots USA, Don Jolly and Brian Festa, who were at that tumultuous Caldwell, Idaho school board meeting. They are there as parents fighting the transgender ideology in school. So make sure to check out that episode. And you can also support all of the ways that we are fighting for medical freedom, parental rights, and educational freedom here at We the Patriots USA. So let's dive into our conversation with Lee Bortons. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Lee, welcome into the show. Thanks for having me, Taryn. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. And before we dive into, first off, discussing the universal education vouchers topic, will you give people that aren't familiar, that haven't been in the homeschool space, who you are and what Classical Conversations is? Sure. I've been blessed to be a freedom maximalist since I was 12 years old. I've never understood why people choose security over freedom. And so I grew up in my, uh, and it's just really strong family. And then um, I married a great man. We have four kids together. And when it came time, um, actually when I was pregnant with the first one, my husband was pretty much, we are not putting them in public school, but I don't know what we were doing. Homeschooling was just getting launched as far as a national movement. And um, I said to him, well, could we homeschool the kids? And he said, yes, let's do that. And the thing that's amazing to me is we weren't Christians at the time. A few years later, we gave our life to the Lord because when you hang out with people who love them so much, which, you know, homeschoolers that were uh, mentoring to us did. Uh, so we gave our lives to the Lord. And, you know, that changed everything from why we weren't going to put the kids in public school was because it wasn't because of the bad things people were talking about, because my husband had seen the decline in the good things that came out of education. And we want good things for our children. We don't react to bad things. We just go for the best. And so um, we never looked back. It was never an option for our children to do anything else because we were just committed that enjoying our family is what we were going to do. 
And um, it's in my, when our eldest was around 12 years old, we realized that a lot of our homeschooling friends were, get, were losing confidence after having done such a great job. And we're starting to put their kids back in public schools. And I said to a bunch of my friends, what if I help you once a week? What if we become a team and make a small, almost micro school? We wouldn't have called it at that time, you know, that at that time. When we get together once a week and we help each other. And so it was the beginning of um, not a co-op. We'd already been in co-ops, but the difference was we were going to hold each other accountable and have a rigorous academic program and learn how ourselves to teach classically as Christians. And so our children have never been the customer of classical conversations. It's always been the parent. We're not a drop-off program. The parents are our prime person that we're trying to help because we want to learn from them too. So I started with 11 students in my basement in 1997 with about four or five mothers there with me. And uh, three years later, my husband quit work. We had 300 people on the waiting list. And today we have 120,000 plus students enrolled in the United States, as well as in almost 40 countries. And uh, if you look at 120,000 students, you can do research, look up the numbers. If we were a consolidated school district, we'd be in the top 20 in the United States. So the influence of homeschoolers just in classical conversations is huge. And we are one of very many, many organizations. So um, when people say, you know, there's no way to homeschool or get out of public school, I, you know, we, we got moms with 10 kids and they're single. We've got wealthy families. We've got people in the Supreme Court that are homeschooling, you know, all, all economic um, levels homeschool. And if we get time uh, later, I'd just like to share with all kinds of things you can do if you don't want to homeschool, but you want to get your kids out of public education. So I've just been trying since 1997 to help as many parents um, uh, choose freedom over uh, insecurity as their reasons for what they do in their children's education. That's wonderful. We will talk about those other options toward the end. And, you know, that's something that we say here on this podcast, faith and freedom over fear and, um, you know, choosing those over the fear of not being able, you know, those insecurities of thinking you can't do it yourself, you don't have time. And I know moms that that work and, and still homeschool. And, um, you know, it's not I'm not saying that that's easy, but um, it's definitely an option. I want to hone in, though, and frame our conversation around something that you mentioned at the beginning and that your homeschool journey brought you to the Lord, brought you to Christ and how that is really what we are talking about here. We are talking about the souls of our children in this, this whole discussion around education. And so I think people need to keep that in mind as we move forward in this talk on how, you know, it's, Obviously, we want, you know, great education and great um, learning for our children. We don't want that indoctrination and that ideology, but it's all about, you know, leading them to Christ and, and growing them up in their faith. So I think that that's important to hone in on. But let's talk about these universal education vouchers that are the hot topic in red states in particular, but all across the United States. Um you know, right now. And there's multifaceted arguments to this topic, but I understand and I and I am very interested to hear what you have to say about, you know, having a free market system instead of these universal vouchers that people are talking about. Yeah, you know, so I'm old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan said the nine scariest words in the English language are, we're the government and we're here to help. 
I'm also old enough to remember that in the 80s, when we were fighting for homeschool laws across the United States, we were fighting the NEA. We were fighting um, truant officers stealing our children, our parents being arrested, you know, being fined. We fought and said, leave us alone. Let us be free. And so it's so discouraging now for the school choice movement to be from the Republicans and them saying, oh, let us give you money so that you can leave the public school system. Well, we know the king's coin makes the king's man. And we're not interested in the civil government's funding. We know our king has so many resources. You know, the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we do not need other people's resources. He will provide. And so um, we've just been, you know, working as hard as we can to let people know that school choice already exists. And you can't fight Marxism with Marxism. And that seems to be the ideology everybody's honing in on saying they want to fight. But you don't do that by making private schools public by receiving public funding. And what you know, we teach in Challenge One, which is part of our high school program, Classical Conversations, is this thing called policy debate, which I wish our um, legislators and media people you know, knew how to do as much as uh, our young students do. But the one thing that they work on for a whole year is that if you have a policy, it always has three parts, a mandate, oversight, and funding. If it doesn't have those three parts, it's not a policy. So for example, the government could say the policy is on Tuesdays, you have to eat at McDonald's at four o'clock. But if they don't have oversight and funding, nobody really has to obey them. It's not a policy, right? So somehow they think they can craft legislation where there won't be oversight and there won't be funding restrictions. And they have um, totally ignored the history of government intervention when a conservative thinks that that's a way to help. They should listen to Ronald Reagan. What about people that are saying, well, let's write into these policies and these laws that the government can't determine curriculum or, or anything like that? What do you what do you say to that argument? Yeah, that's good until the next round of legislatures come around. So look what just happened in Arizona. Oh, it was going to be so wonderful, you know, and, and less than one percent of the public school kids actually took the money. Instead, the rest of the money was taken by people who were already in private education and now are on the welfare rolls. And then so Carrie Lake ended up not winning and becoming governor. And I can never remember the name of the Democrat gal who won. And she immediately announced now that she's in office, they're going to look at putting the restrictions on this voucher program they have. Yes. ESAs. It's like, what do you think that the Republicans are going to always be in office? And then the other thing, like I said before, when you establish a policy, there will be oversight. And the more it costs the government, the more oversight that they will have. And I want them to have oversight. If they're taking my dollars, they better be sure they're spending it, right? So instead, I would rather say, don't take my money in the first place. Let's not even have that as something the government thinks is part of its sphere of influence. The family, the family government, self-government, church government, they are the proper spheres of education. Civil government is not the right place to be dealing with this. I don't care if it's local, state, or fed. Yeah, so let's dive into that topic of a free market system for education. I think it's very intriguing. And, you know, we all know that uh, free markets will then, you know, the cream will rise to the top in the, in the, in the free market system. Mm -hmm. So are you insinuating that, you know, no tax dollars are taken out from people to go toward education? Yes, 
That would be my dream. Yeah. And that's what we're working towards making happen. And you can see back in the 80s when we had to fight this, we were saying, don't give us tax credits. Don't give us any money. Leave us alone. There's not a dollar that's worth our child's soul or the risk of losing them. Right. And so people don't think that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is like the Republicans entry into universal basic income. They're already paying for highways, libraries, food subsidies, shelter, and that education's always been there. And now they're trying to um, publicize private education. So, you know, here's $7,000 in Arizona for your kid. You got three of them, that's $21,000. How's that any different than universal basic income, especially when it only costs about $1,000 to $2,000 a year to educate a child? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, that's the piece there too that people aren't thinking about is you know how inexpensive homeschooling or different alternatives of education are because and i want to talk more on that because so many parents they think um you know if i take my child out of pri public school that means private school therefore that means very expensive i can't <clears throat> afford it um you know maybe a middle class family can't afford that let alone a lower right. class family mm -hmm. so Explain to people the different alternatives that they would have if this free market system would come into effect. Yeah. And so a lot of things that um, happened during COVID revealed the myriad of options. So families who were like desperate for basically daycare and childcare rather than school when the schools closed down, they found ways to do it. What was unfortunate is they knew the schools would open up again. And that's where our Democrats were our friends keeping those schools closed because what happened is so many families found other ways to educate that they stayed with it. And so they usually do use these other systems and options under the homeschooling laws, because basically homeschooling has destroyed compulsory education. If you say you're a homeschooler, you can pretty much go about it however you want. Mm -hmm. So what am I talking about? So we, so like I personally sponsored a pod where I paid somebody and then the parents got together and paid that one teacher to help with their children. So you saw that across the nation. You saw like cul-de-sacs of moms and, um, and dads and families saying, well, we're going to have our five families do this together and we'll each take a day a week. Or the five families got together and hired a person. Or they realized that they could um, uh, homeschool most of the time and maybe be in classical conversations one day a week or go to Covenant Prep three days a week or go to Veritas for two days a week or go to a, you know, a second shift school, a weekend school. There's so many ways to um, educate children and to, or, and to assemble. And in this country, under the First Amendment, we have the right to assemble. The problem is a lot of things I just described to you were illegal. And so during COVID, the government looked away from that, right? Because they weren't investigating any of those families for fire codes, hiring practices, legal entities, right? It was moms and dads just getting together and saying, let's find an 18-year-old who will teach our kids to read, mm -hmm. right? So now we're back into this only public, private, and homeschooling as, as an option versus during COVID, it was 350 million people in the United States. That means we should have 350 million ways of educating. I and love that. Do. I love that. There's no time, there's no time constraints. Mm -hmm. There's no days, the specific days. Um, you mentioned, I want to ask you though, because you mentioned in there the constraints and the legal hurdles um, that you mentioned, are those back in play now? 
they never were rescinded. And yes, mm -hmm. and they're back in play. So it's really interesting how um, some of these people who said, you know, I'm going to keep doing my micro school. There's a lot of uh, ex-teachers or teachers who were pushed out because of COVID who said, okay, parents in the neighborhood, I'll take 10 of your kids, pay mm -hmm. me and I'll do that. Well, now they're looking at the legal battles of how do you deal with that? And, um, you know, fortunately, there's always resources and ways to figure stuff out. But a lot of people have gone underground because of it and they aren't saying what they're doing, which, you know, the black uh, or legislation always makes more black market, which is exactly what's going to happen with these vouchers and the ESA money. Because when the restrictions get stronger on private schools rather than looser, because now they're getting money. Right. There's going to have to churches are going to start saying, never mind, we're not going to enroll as a school ever. We're just going to let people use our facility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's ways around it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people have always found found ways. Um, one more argument that I want to unpack before we talk a little bit further about, um, you know, classical conversations and, and ways to educate your children is the last argument that people are saying is, basically, this is an incremental fight that um, how can we ever completely get government overreach out of our education system if kids are continued to be indoctrinated into that system? If we offer up this voucher system, then we're going to have more kids that are out of that. So then, you know what I'm saying? So it's an incremental fight is what people are saying. Um, what is your What's your counter to that? Well, I wonder when someone says that, were they alive in March 2020 when every school shut down? We can do it tomorrow. Let's just shut the schools down tomorrow, Tara. And, and you know what will happen? There's 300,000 churches in the United States. If they know these schools aren't opening up again, those pastors, those elders, those mamas, they'll start saying, all right, let's open up schools just like we did in COVID. And if you know they're not coming back, it'll be a more serious endeavor. So we saw for two years that we could make this work. So let's make it work for the forever and stop having our children indoctrinated and instead let parents through their faith and freedom. And I don't even care what their faith and ideas of freedom mm -hmm. are. They're the parents. Let them decide. And so that tends to be one of the arguments for, you know, the money following the child. And I'm like, OK, but it's not the parents money. It's the taxpayers money. Parents have got parents don't have rights. Parents have responsibilities. And it, responsibilities are something you sacrifice and suffer and you pay for. If somebody else is paying for my responsibilities, no, am I still responsible? No. no. And you, we, you've taken your your say out of it then too. Yeah. I think of the word school choice the same way I think of how the abortionists use the word pro-choice. Mm -hmm. It's I, not. Yeah, it's not, not a choice. Mean, yeah. It's not a choice. It's only a choice for one party, not yes. for all involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so many people say, you know, yes, then that whole burden falls on the parent. And I love what you're saying there. And I agree with you that when a parent decides to have children, you know, they're taking on that responsibility. And, um, you know, that it is better for the community, obviously, to have educated children. And that's why there's taxes for all, you know, for grandparents and elderly and people that don't have children. But to your point, um, those that really do have our best interest at heart for the children and for the education, um, they are going to step up and help in some way that they can uh, through their churches, through their communities. Um, you know, excluding the tax dollars, people will step up in ways that, you know, are near and dear to their heart. 
Yeah, I mean, as a Christian, I think it's really too bad that our churches are nonprofits and are asking for that status. That's the same as having government approval of your church, and it was never meant to be that way. Can you imagine being a Christian church in underground China or Iraq or Iran and going to the government there and saying, oh, we want a tax credit while you're at it? Right. It, we have everything all backwards. And what we've done at our church, um, which I just really love, our pastor is adamant about private Christian education. And so we offer at our church the CC for the one-day weekers, covenant prep for the three. We support a classical Christian school from ACCS for five days a week. And then we have a scholarship if you want to go somewhere else that's private Christian education. And we're just one church. Well, you can imagine we have 120 children at our church, and not a one of them goes to public school. That's wonderful because of that support system that your entire church body has devoted itself to and being led by your pastor. I think that that's a great example for, you know, pastors or church elders or anyone listening that are like, how can we, you know, continue to support what Lee's saying? Uh, There's an example right there for you. So let's, let's break down uh, classical conversations and classical Christian education for people who are like, okay, uh, I hear you, Lee, I'm interested. Um, Tell them a little bit about it. Yeah. So classical conversations, our motto is homeschool with a friend. And we don't mean for your kids, we mean for the parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we do in CC um, is we have arranged, we have almost 3000 locations across the United States so that anybody who wants to join is close to a facility. And the parents with their children get together once a week and practice classical education from a Christian perspective. Um, And so we have people who are really strong in classical education, helping to tutor. We have people that are brand new to Christian education, trying to understand what does that mean. And so we're kind of like continuing the body of Christ throughout the academic week by meeting one day a week. Um, We do charge tuition. It averages $1,000 a year. A year, not a month, a year, (laughs) (laughs) right? So people know. So it's pretty much if you can afford to um, have the time to homeschool, it's an affordable program. And you said something at the beginning, I think it's really important. I would suspect 85% of the families that are in classical conversations have two income families. Mm -hmm. When there's a will, there's a way. The mother and or the father figure out, because there's two of them, they figure out how to juggle the schedule and get through the parenting years, helping their children learn to build, right? Build your mind, build your family, build your soul, build your church, build your community. You know, we as adults get up and we work. That's what the Lord says to do. And what homeschooling is really about is just keeping your kids around your feet and teaching them the very same things you know how to do. So it's not bringing school home and it's not loan school like online or on a computer. Uh, To us, education. You lost me. We all have friends. You lost me for a minute there. I did lose you there for a minute, but you were saying uh, you were saying that, you know, this is. a a community effort and both parents also involved in this effort. Mm -hmm. That's right. So um, 
if you're interested in classical conversations, you can go to our website, classicalconversations.com, and put in your zip code and just send an email, and a, a local representative will get a hold of you and find out what are your needs, what are you interested, what is we can do to help you. And of course, we hope you join classical conversations. But if you don't, that's okay. We're there to help you and support you in whatever way we can. And we have waiting lists across the country. So we are really looking to encourage the parents in classical conversations to step up and start new communities. That's what we call them, communities rather than pods or co-ops. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really changed since COVID is like before COVID, we would knock on doors and ask churches to sponsor us and to provide locations. Now the churches are calling us. Taryn, oh, wow. that makes me so happy. Absolutely. That makes me happy to hear that. Um, I would also like for you real briefly here, we have a few minutes left to um, tell people the phases of of classical education, people that aren't familiar with that term and what sort of education model that is. Yeah. So it's the most natural way there is to learn. Uh, we use academically the words grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric. But don't worry about that. What that really means is that God gave us senses where we input information. We have a brain where we process information and we have a body where we share information. So that's what we practice. We teach kids how to learn, how to think, or I should say how to absorb, how to think and how to share. So if anybody's ever learned anything, that's how they did it, whether they knew that's what they were doing or not. So what makes it a super effective educational model is we say, all right, so they're struggling with the memorization using their senses, body control. What can we do to solve that? Or, boy, I know my child knows it. They just can't think it through. They're still too immature. I need to wait. I need to give them more practice. Or, you know, that parent who said, and I'm sure you've had that experience with um, yourself and friends. You look at somebody and you go, I know they know it, but they're having a hard time explaining it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's tricks to learning how to explain things better. That's called rhetoric, right? So all we're doing is taking what the scriptures have given us um, and using that model of education. So think about it. The Old Testament is mostly things to memorize, laws, stories, rules, lists. Then Jesus came and he asked questions. What do you think about this? And he did that through parables and his questions. Mm -hmm. And then he left the Holy Spirit and the epistles tell us, now that you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, how shall you live? What are you going to do, do with apply it? it? Yeah. Yes. So we teach our children to name like Adam, ask questions like Jesus, and persuade like Paul. That's oh. Christian education. That is a wonderful, I have heard classical education broken down in many different ways, but I've never heard it broken down that way from an exclusive biblical lens. So I appreciate that. That gave me goosebumps actually hearing it nice. explained that way. And I think that what you're saying here and how, um, how appealing that is, and then how the proof is basically in the pudding on how you guys have just grown so much since your since you were founded and that that just plays into how a free market system would um would operate and that you know people are people are worried that for lack of a better term children are going to be left behind you know not to piggyback off of that uh <laughs> that policy that <laughs> no child uh, left behind. <laughs> we don't want to emphasize by any means but but people are worried that children are going to be left behind but i think that 
what you're saying here and what you're exhibiting through your work is that um, people will be drawn to these these systems and these programs if they are allowed to prosper and they're out there. It's you know if they're good, people are going to be drawn to them. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not the child. It's not no child being left behind. Children don't need a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. The problem is we keep focusing on the child. What's happening is we're leaving the family behind. Mm -hmm. We're destroying the responsibility that the family has as the, um, the, the concrete building upon building brick of the church, of civil government, of church government. And so when people talk about the children, I get like, just, I have to hold back because the children have been given to their parents, not to me, not to the schools, not to you. We are there to help the parents do the best job they can. Because I won't sit on that Bema seat and answer for your children, Taryn, Mm -hmm. but I will answer for mine. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, if moms are sitting here listening to this or dads are listening to this, you know, how do we get the fathers more equipped to be a part of this scenario? Because I think so many people think all the responsibility falls on the mother or maybe a mom feels overwhelmed by this or a dad on the other hand is like, how do I get more involved in this? What are you guys doing to to include them? So we have a whole lot of things, webinars and all kinds of events and things. But the easiest thing to do is to go to classicalconversations.com and type in the dad's guide to classical education. It's free and it's short. It was written by my son. It's about sports and how that relates to education. So that's a good place to just start and get encouraged. And then another thing is for um, moms whose husbands are supportive, just to say thank you over and over again, because there's so many men that are not. And so to just be grateful when you have the support you do and to do like we always do, to just love on our husbands as we help them help us with our kids. And then there's other dads who are avid readers and love teaching math and get really involved. So it's just, you know, each family is designed differently. And so finding where your strengths are and encouraging each other's spouses to say, we're in this for the long haul. How are we going to do this together? And you know what? That might change day by day. Absolutely. (laughs) As uh, it does change day by day. And as someone who has two small children yet in school and, you know, we're we're um, pretty much devoting to the homeschool route. That's what I tell my husband all the time. I say, I'm not good at math. So that's something that you're going to have to pick up the slack on and, um, you know, other little areas like Mm -hmm. that. And so I think that's great to get the whole family involved in bringing up the children in the way that they should go. And so again, give people the, where they can find classical conversations one more time. Classicalconversations.com. And you also can go to leebortons.com. And that's where a lot of like this interview will be on there. And I run a number of book clubs that are open to the public. So if people just want to hop on on a Monday or Thursday night and see what kind of things we talk about before they join, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, Lee, thank you so much for uh, diving into this conversation, letting me play devil's advocate a little bit here. And um, we just so appreciate you and we so appreciate everyone watching and listening to this and helping us to power our education arm here at We the Patriots USA. You can make a tax deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org to keep powering this podcast. Thanks, Lee. Thank you.